Welcome to the Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant Show. My name is Rebecca Whitman, and I'm a success mentor. I believe there are seven pillars of success. Your spiritual life, your physical fitness, your emotional, romantic, mental, social, and finally, your financial life. When you get all seven areas in alignment, you are balanced, beautiful, and abundant. I learned this the hard way. I've always made money. Unfortunately, I spent so much time making money that I never had time for the rest of my life. So, despite not having financial worries, I was never happy. I wanted romance, but I didn't have time to date. I wanted to be in great shape, but I couldn't find a moment to go to the gym. I wanted a more spiritual life, but I didn't meditate. That also takes time. I wanted to read great books and fill my mind with deep thoughts, but I never made the time. I wanted a great social life, not just going to work-related events. Emotionally, I was a wreck because my life was totally out of balance. Today, I earn more money than I ever have in my life, and I work only part-time. I have the relationship of my dreams. I'm in the best physical shape of my life. I'm spiritually grounded. I feel fulfilled mentally, socially, and emotionally. My life is in perfect alignment. This podcast will help you discover where your life is out of balance. My mission is to support you in achieving work-life balance so that you can have more fun and freedom in life. On my show, you will get to learn from experts in all seven areas of abundance. My guests have achieved tremendous success in their zone of genius. Are you ready to go to a level 10 in all seven areas of life? You got this. Hello, Nancy Picard. Hi, how are you? I am great. I'm so excited to have you on the Balanced Beautiful Abundant show today. I'm excited to be here. You are such an accomplished woman. It's such an honor to spend some time with you. And I'm going to tell my listeners how amazing you are. So Nancy Picard is an integrative life coach. She's an author of an international best-selling book, Bigger, Better, Braver, uh, Conquer Your Fears, Embrace Your Courage, Transform Your Life. What an awesome title. Thank you. Sure. Prior to working as a coach, she owned a personal training gym. She has multiple certifications in coaching, and she's had a focus on health and wellness for over 20 years. At the age of 61, she traveled alone to Asia and climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, which is so cool. So let's talk about what happened. I, you, why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about the story that was in your bio about your marriage and when that all fell apart and how you had to kind of like reinvent yourself. I, I think that's a powerful story to start with. Okay. Well, it's my pain point. So it, I'm beyond it. I get that. But it always brings me back to that conversation. Mm. So I was married 26 years and I was really happily married. I had two children. We kind of had it all going on. And that was, I was doing exactly what I thought I wanted to be doing, right? So that was my mindset. That was what I wanted. And when that fell apart, I we had been together for maybe 29 years already. 
I was very other referenced. I saw myself through the eyes of how he saw me. And so when he no longer wanted me, I really no longer wanted me. I forgot who I was. I really forgot that I was the one that like built us up and kept him up and kept us together. And I just fell apart. It took me a really long time. I did not have the tools. I didn't know where to go next. I didn't know what to do next. I didn't know how to redefine myself. And as a matter of fact, redefining myself at that time looked like finding another man so that I would fix that story and be married again and move from there. That was really my end game. Mm -hmm. And I never, and so that was really where I put my attention. I dated a lot of guys. I got engaged again. And it wasn't until that fell apart that I realized, wait, the universe has like something else for me in mind. There are lessons here that I'm not learning, which is really part of my whole, what I help guide people through is to look for the lessons, you know, Life does happen to you, but it really happens for you. And so you have to actually stop thinking about the to you and think about the for you. You know, why is this happening? Where is the co-creation? What can I be doing differently? What can I learn from this? And so even in the midst of all of our drama and everything that's happening, and we all have drama that's not going to stop. You know, I, I, I didn't get my fill and I'm not going to get any more. We all fall. And basically, how long do we stay down? Yeah. And when we pick ourselves up, what have we learned from that? So that it's a stepping stone and we don't get there again. Those are the lessons. I love that because we get to find the blessing in the mess and the lessons in the mess. And exactly. There's exactly powerful soul lessons that we can learn when we do hit a bottom. Yeah. As painful as it is. So it's so such a great story of redemption that you rebuilt your life from that from that bottom. And you Oh my God, I, I would not be a coach. I would definitely not be a master life coach. I would not have written a book. You know, I just would I didn't even know, I didn't get to the wherewithal that I have all of these gifts and that I need to be sharing it with the world and I need to be helping other people. That would not have come. I would have still always been looking to my man to build him up, to make him better, thinking that that's where I needed to put my attention and my intention. And now I don't. Now I'm very self-referenced. Yes, I have a man in my life, but I don't need a man in my life. I'm happy to have him, but I'm really, we support each other. We're equals. And um, it's really, my life is really not about him. My life is about me and how I can serve myself and serve other people. And obviously my family and my children and my grandchildren and all, you know, I have a very full cup basically, but I am very self-referenced. I honor and respect what I need first so that I actually, like on an airplane, can put my mask on and then I have enough left over to help and serve everyone else in my life. Yeah, it's about being interdependent, not codependent. Correct. Right? Having two people with beautiful, fully actualized lives who then spend time and share and support and lift each other up. But I think the old paradigm is codependence and that mm -hmm. is 
just such a painful paradigm because one is a 10 and the other one is a one or a zero and it's yeah. not a partnership. Yeah. I, I tell my clients that it's like this, that um, you need to be in a relationship where if one person steps back, the other person's still standing. Yes. When you're in a relationship like this and you're codependent, when one person steps back, the other person falls flat on their face. Yes, absolutely. I totally agree. So you could have been a victim and you could have spent the rest of your life, you know, saying, why me? Why did my husband leave me? You know, my life sucks. So what was the shift? What was the moment where you decided to go from victim to victor? Well, I did say all those things, by the way. I was a victim in my story for a very long time. And honestly, I couldn't even really enjoy my life because I was so busy looking at his life, you know, what he went on to do and how he's living his life. And poor me, I'm not living my life the way he's living his life. It really wasn't until I was engaged in living in that life again. And when that fell apart, that's when I really said, all right, it can't just be the men I'm choosing, although that was part of it. I was choosing men who needed emotional support mm -hmm. and they could bring the money part and I would do everything else in the relationship. And so it was not a balanced relationship in any way. And I finally realized I don't need your money. Okay. And I need a healthier human being who's not broken because I want to hang up my cape and stop being the broken person. Like when my fiance said to me, I don't think I've ever really been happy a day in my life. I was thinking, no problem. I can fix that. That's my job. You know, I'm the fun person. I'm the emotionally strong person. Lean on me. I can help you. Well, I don't, I don't play that game anymore and I'm not that person anymore. So I now like I tell my clients who are single and they want to be in a relationship. You have to first become the person you want to have a relationship with, right? We're all mirrors out there. So yeah. you need to become exactly the person you want to attract. Yes. And until you become that person, you're going to attract people that are really not in your best interest because they're the wounded they're, they're they're you're attracting wound to wound and that's not what you want you want healthy to healthy yes i agree i say you attract who you are not who you want so yeah. that's why it's so important to do the inner work first before you go out into the dating world so you attract somebody else exactly who's healed and whole yeah so I, go ahead i used to when I first was doing all the shadow work and um, finding the qualities, the disowned qualities that I needed to own back so I would stop attracting those men into my life, I could rate my progress in becoming emotionally whole on the men I attracted. Like, oh, I no longer attract liars. Oh, I no longer attract lazy men. Oh, like all the qualities that I needed to own back in myself that I didn't see. I Once I owned them back, I stopped attracting them into my life. And so 
my partner now, like he, there's very few things that he triggers me on because I've done enough work on myself that I attracted somebody who was so much more emotionally whole and, you know, secure and confident and just a good partner and, and not all those wounds. So it's really interesting. It is. It is so amazing. So what do you mean by shadow work? Explain that to our listeners. So shadow, shadow, we all have beliefs from our first 10 years of life. They're the wounds that everyone talks about when they talk about your wounded child. We have, we all have beliefs that came from our childhood that we were too young to really emotionally understand how to digest them. And we gave them a meaning, but the meaning gets buried in our subconscious. And it's sort of, you know, you're in school and you're in first grade and you stand up and you read something and you say a word wrong and people, the kids laugh at you. Well, in an instant, you decide you're not smart enough or you're stupid, or you're broken, or you need to, and then you make a promise to yourself, which is the underlying commitment. I will stay silent so no one will know I'm stupid. Mm. Or um, I will control everything so I can be safe. Um, I had a belief that I'm not safe alone. And so my commitment to myself was I will never be alone. Thus, I was in a relationship since I was 13, one after another. I'm a long-term serial relationship person. And I just thought, oh, well, that's the kind of person I am. Instead of knowing that my wounded child didn't feel safe unless she was in a relationship. Once I uncovered that and brought it to the surface and it was in my conscious mind, it didn't control me anymore. I could make a new empowering belief that, you're totally safe alone in an instant it's gone so that's the work i do with my clients i help them uncover all of those disempowering beliefs i'm unworthy um i'm not good with money uh my voice doesn't matter my opinion doesn't matter i need to stay silent to stay safe all of these are disempowering shadow beliefs yes and people have them. I'm not good enough. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too fat. I'm too thin. It'll never work for me. Mm-hmm. There's something wrong with me. All these. I'll never be chosen. Right. That's yeah. another. That's a big one. They all funnel down to I'm unworthy. Mm-hmm. And what happens is that you're either brought up in a family where you came to the understanding that you weren't worthy or you were brought up like I was in a family where you were taught that you could do anything and you could be anything and you were special. Well, that works until your husband leaves you. Let's just use that as an example. And then you're no longer special. And so it's a spectrum. If you're no longer special, now you're unworthy. Mm. So one way or the other, we all end up feeling unworthy and like an imposter, not good enough. And what happens like in the business world or in any world where you are playing small, you have to recognize that that imposter syndrome that you, the feelings and the negative self-talk is all from your wounded child. And you must just have compassion, but move forward anyway. And the only thing that stops people 
the only difference between successful people and non-successful people is that successful people move with the fear. Mm. They move with the They feel the fear and do it anyway. They get comfortable being uncomfortable. People think that successful people just do everything with no fear and they just accomplish and they get all these huge goals. But I really like that point, Nancy. Successful people feel the fear. The only difference is they just do it. Yes. Or, you know, sometimes you think about like we're all watching the Olympics, right? Well, the difference between I'm a marathoner and a century bike rider and I've done triathlons. And the only difference between me and them is that they are willing to be in so much more pain Mm. than I've ever been willing to be in. Like, it's not like they are such natural athletes that they just can do it. But more so is that they have learned that it's okay to be in that much pain and do it anyway. It's all different levels. So Olympians or professional athletes are willing to be in so much more physical pain to get to those high Mm -hmm. one millionth of 1% goals of what humans can do. They're willing to train harder, be sore, sustain injury, get up earlier, go with less sleep. So yeah, I really like that point there. Everybody can do it to a point. It's like, how much pain are you willing to endure? Exactly. Exactly. And that's why the Olympics are so emotional because here they are, they've endured so much pain and so much physical torture. And now they're, it's all on the line. It's like what they've given their life to the the thousands upon thousands of hours and dedicated, you know, workouts. And here it is, it's all on the line. And right. and, and their families and how much they let go of and how much they've, you know, yes, all of that. I get it. But it wasn't, it, I used to always think oh, their bodies are like so just amazing that they can do these things. And I didn't really realize that until somebody basically said to me, no, they're just willing to be in more pain over and over and over again. They're willing to keep doing that. And I thought, oh, that, you know, that's true. It's all different levels. You know, I'm willing to 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 try new things and to always say yes and to push myself and to to not ignore my negative voice. But but also I have come to realize that, you know, I write the book, Bigger, Better, Braver. And so then the world throws every opportunity in my face to say, really, you think you're bigger, better, braver? Let me see you do this over and over and over again. And I have learned that even if I think I'm not that, that the moment I step in, I am that. So like I was recently asked to to um, build a course for Gen Connect You and LinkedIn Learning. And at first I thought, oh, that's that's bigger than me. You know, I'm that's not me. That's for bigger coaches than me. And then I thought, no, they asked me, they came to me. And so I am that in their eyes, I need to be it in my eyes. And the moment I step in and do the work to build the course, I also will be that. Right. So it's always just step in. The moment you step in all of the angst and all of the drama, no matter what the situation is, is gone. It's always on this side of doing, of stepping in. 
And everything we want is on the other side of our comfort zone. Everything. So you could make the analogy to the Olympics or to your business goals. It's just about how willing are you to be uncomfortable, to overcome your yes. rejection or overcome yeah. your fear of I'm not good enough. And yeah. when you think of people, you know, like Sarah Blakely from Spanx and all the different people she went to in department stores and all the rejection or Colonel Sanders and, you know, the hundreds right. of people that turned down his recipe and so many people have so many great business ideas and concepts are just not willing to like endure that much mental anguish with, which comes with right. rejection, right? It's just, right. it's a game of endurance and it's a game of also not caring what the people think about you so much because if you don't put any value on their opinion of your product, good service, it's like, the only thing that matters is what I think about me and what God thinks about me. Doesn't matter what the people out there think about me. Right. And that's a really hard place to get to, but there's so much freedom, which brings me to my next question. That's a perfect segue. So how did you find the freedom from caring about what other people think about you? Hmm. That's a good question. I, I, I can't really pinpoint it, but I think that when this is what I say about self-love and self-trust. When you can be accountable always to yourself, you learn to love yourself more and trust yourself more, and therefore you have more confidence. So confidence comes from action, and confidence comes from staying in alignment. So if I follow through with everything I tell myself I'm going to do, I trust myself. And then by trusting myself, I love myself more and I become more confident. And that confidence and that self-love makes me stand in the knowing that I'm enough. Mm -hmm. And when you know that you're enough, you don't really care what other people think. It, it just happens. So you don't think you're enough is because, not you personally, but when people don't think that they're enough, there's an inner insecurity. They still have that wounded child that says, I'm not enough. And that child is in control until you stop it or learn to trust yourself and learn to be more confident. And I haven't found any other way to be more confident than to learn to trust yourself. So, I tell my clients that I am their accountability partner, but really uh, my goal is to get them off my, off, you know, to move on beyond me. Like, it's not like a therapist. You don't want a client forever. You right. want them to get the tools that you have to teach them and then be able to trust themselves and become their own accountability partner. And then they're not going to need you anymore. Yeah. Once they can stay in alignment with everything they say them, they're going to do. You know, I have a lot of clients that in the beginning, they only follow through because they're afraid of me, right? Like, I didn't want to show up and not have done what I said I was going to do. And I'm like, yes, I get that. But I want you to do it for you. And it's okay if in the very beginning, you still are a little afraid of showing up and having me have to tell you why that doesn't work, that you didn't do it and stuff like that. So... I like that self-esteem and confidence is built by doing esteemable acts. 
Yeah. There's also a lot of uh, accountability when you have a coach, but then they start taking action and they start getting results. And it's like the little wins start building and building. And they're like, oh, wait, I, I can do this. Like to use a yeah. gym analogy, I know you've owned gyms and been an avid exerciser for years. It's like just showing up to the gym is such a big deal for someone who doesn't work out. And then it's like, oh, just lifting a little bit of weight and then you celebrate that and then you add more weight and then you know it's like you celebrate the little wins and they start to stack and then and now they're confident they're like wow I can go to the gym maybe I'll start working out like three times a week instead of once a week and it just yeah maybe I don't need a trainer maybe now I know how to do it I can do it on my own right yes and when I, I used to own a gym I used to say to my clients all you have to do is show up like the moment you walk into my gym I'm in charge. I, you, you will walk out being exhausted because I'm going to put you through the drills. Well, that's not how it is with a life coach. With a life coach, you don't just show up. You have to do the work. Yeah. I, I can't. I can only work as hard as you work. But when we hang up the phone, you have work to do till our next phone call. I don't, and I also can't do it for you. So it's very different than um, than being a trainer. A trainer, you. You can just tell them what to do and help them do it right then and there. And it, with a coach, you you let them find their answers. It's very, it's different. I actually had to like learn to, to not give them my answers and to let them find their own answers. It was a, it was a change for me because I'm very good at giving advice. And yeah. that's, you know, that's not what you want to do with, as a coach. You want to help them learn to find their own answers and to support them in finding their own answers. But to go back to the gym analogy, even if you're helping them lift weights at the gym and then they leave and they eat whatever they want. Of course. And they drink, you know, soda and go to McDonald's and they're not going to get the results. So I think the goal with coaching and with training is to kind of set someone on the right path mm -hmm. and then they can go on their own. Whereas like with therapy, I mean, and I'm not against therapy. I come from a family of therapists. I, I mean, I love what it does for people, but coaching is so different because I think, like you said, coaching, we're not just sitting there and processing our feelings for 10 or 20 years. The goal is to take action so people yeah. can actually set sail and, and have success yeah. on their own. Which yeah, I have, I, have, um, I have a friend who's been with the same therapist for maybe 20 or 30 years. Yeah. And she's still saying the exact same things. And I'm thinking to myself, this is not, you're saying the same things. When are you going to take responsibility for the adult that you are today and not the wounded child? Like you have to move beyond that to the conscious adult. Yeah. And when's that going to happen? Because this is 30 years of you still talking about why that's playing in your life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So let's talk about boundaries. I know that's a really big thing, especially for women, because we give, 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 give until we're completely depleted. Yeah. So what yeah. method or advice do you have for women about how to set boundaries? Well, so boundaries is a huge conversation, but yeah. basically, um, in a nutshell, you have to make yourself a priority you have to recognize that selfish is not a bad word mm -hmm. and selfless is not a good word. 
I like that. There's a balance. So when you're selfless, you disappear. Your needs aren't even in the room. They're not part of the conversation. And if you don't make yourself a priority, nobody else will make you a priority. So we women, people pleasers, overgivers, overdoers, conflict avoiders, we give and give and give, and then we blow up because our needs are not being met. We're exhausted. Nobody's putting our needs first. Well, hello, honey. Nobody's putting your needs first because you don't put your needs first and they don't know what your needs are. So boundaries are making yourself a priority and asking for the things you need and saying what you will and will not tolerate Mm. and what you will and will not do. And those boundaries, number one, start with you. What will you no longer tolerate with you? Like, I will no longer tolerate telling myself I'm going to do this. And at the end of the day being, oh, well, I didn't do it. Right. Right. I will no longer tolerate putting my needs at the end and not and and not taking care of myself. I will no longer tolerate not honoring and respecting my needs and making them a priority and letting people know. So I work with my clients on the things that they need. And then how to ask for them with grace and ease and how to make those boundaries about them so that it's not about the other person. Like, I feel this. I, I feel this when you do that. Would you be willing to do this? So you're sort of saying, I feel disrespected. You're not disrespecting me, but it is how I feel. I'm feeling disrespected. You can't argue with someone's feelings. No, right. So would you be willing to do this instead? I like that. I like yeah. to be willing because it's not pushy. Mm-mm. It's just asking for support. And then the next step is to be detached from the result because I know so many people are scared to ask for their needs to get met because they're scared that they're partner or their spouse or their boss or coworker will say no, and then they'll feel rejected. But all we can do is have the courage to ask, would you be willing to blank and then stay detached from the result? Well, yes and no. You, If you ask for something and you're saying that this is a boundary, yes. then actually the next step, if they don't do it, is you making an action. So in order to honor and respect myself, let's, I'll give you a scenario. You know, um, a, a client comes to me and her husband has more than two drinks in a night and gets angry and nasty. And she doesn't want that anymore. And at first she'll say to me, well, I can't tell him that because he drank like that when I married him. How can I now say it's not okay? So rule number one is I don't care if it was okay yesterday. It's okay to not be okay any longer. You know, that's how you honor and respect yourself. You no longer will tolerate that. So you ask him, I'm uncomfortable. I feel or I feel angry or I feel scared. When you raise your voice, when you have more than two drinks, whatever it is. Would you will be willing to do, would you be willing to not have more than two drinks in a night? Mm-hmm. He says, yes. 
He doesn't do it. You can't just be not attached to that and let it go. Right. You then have to say, in order to honor and respect myself, the next time and every time you have more than two drinks, I'm going to sleep alone in the guest room. Yeah. Or I'm going to sleep alone in our bedroom and I'm going to lock the door. Or I'll so, be leaving. I'll be leaving the party or event. I'll anything. Home by anything myself. you want. Have so consequences. Yeah. There are consequences. And so you can't make the other person. But if, but do not, I mean, boundary rule number one, don't set a boundary that you're not prepared to stand b- behind. Mm-hmm. Don't set a boundary that you can't do. Because you can't make the other person do it. So if they yeah. don't do it, you have to you have to set something. I mean, I have clients who, you know, the women have have no idea like how much money they have. And they're on like an allowance, like they're, you know, with their husband and because they're non-working women, which is rare, but it still happens with my older clients who raised their kids and didn't work and now, you know, have never like seen their their uh their tax return. Basically, this client had to say, if I don't have the tax return in my presence by tomorrow or by Friday, I am going to call the accountant. Mm-hmm. And then she called the accountant because he didn't do it. And he didn't believe she would, she would do that. It's stuff like that. You have to be ready. Yes. Yeah. To back, to back up your boundaries. Yeah. And then what happens sometimes, which is really hard. Cause I, I have this a lot too. The client gets the nerve up to ask for what they want. The person says yes. And then four weeks later, they didn't get what they were, what the person said. And so they feel mad that they have to ask again. Mm-hmm. But sometimes that does happen. And then you do have to ask again. And you have to say, it was really hard for me to ask the first time. I don't want to have to ask again. When can, when will I have that? in my hand, you know, when will you sign that? When will I have that? Oh, we're so, so, but I will also say that 95% of the time my clients come back. They're so happy that they set the boundary. They can't believe how easily it was met. And most importantly, they can't believe how good they feel about themselves because they made themselves a priority. That's the best part about it. But they'll come back and they'll say, oh, my God, I can't, he said yes. Like, you know, I can't believe it. That's- and it's not just with your partner. It can be at work, obviously. You know, it can be, you know, I'm really just, dis- I feel really disrespected when you talk over me in a Zoom call. Would you be willing to wait until I'm finished talking? Because in, in order to honor and respect myself, the next time you talk over me in a Zoom call, I'm going to say, I'm sorry, I'm not finished. Right? I'm going to speak up in the group of 20 people and just say, I'm sorry, I wasn't finished. That's setting the boundary. And then when that happens, you have to step in and say, I'm sorry, I wasn't finished. Yes, absolutely. The person will learn pretty quickly. And I think going back to our topic of self-confidence, that enhances your confidence when you set boundaries and take care of yourself. Correct. The more you set boundaries, the more you love yourself. 
the more you make your needs a priority. Like I always think people are not mind readers. You can't expect people at work or your children or your partner or your friends to know what you need if you don't let them know. Right. People are not mind readers. So shame on you for not asking for what you need. Now, underneath the not asking for what you need is the shadow belief that your needs don't matter or your voice doesn't matter. Right. Or why bother? Nobody listens to me. So you have to dig down and find out what the shadow belief is that's actually stopping you from setting the boundary. And then once you find that out and set the boundary, you're going to feel even more amazing because you've stated your needs and therefore you must be worthy. Absolutely. Or it could be narcissism because one of my favorite therapists, Dr. Pat Allen, says the theme song of a narcissist is if you loved me, you would know. Like mm. you would, you would know what my needs right. are because I'm, you know, I'm so the important. Ten, you're the zero, and it's all about me. Yeah, yeah, but that's not how it is. People don't know your needs. No, they do not. So let's talk about a broken heart because you have made such a comeback from having your heart broken not once but twice. What are what is some good advice you can tell women how to heal from a broken heart? <sighs> First of all, it's, it's hard, you know, like I feel even just thinking about it. I always feel bad. I, I do healing your heart um, coaching. That's one of my certifications. And it's always so sad because the first few sessions, everyone's crying all the time because it's so painful. But the way around it is number one, you can't go around it. You have to go through it. You have to be you have to be okay with being in pain. And I basically get to a point where I say to my clients, I want you to pick a time of day that you're going to cry your eyes out. And you're going to set a timer. And when the timer's done, you're going to stop crying for that day. That's good. So that's one. Number two, I advise all my clients who are in this broken heart period. And I did this with when I was so broken from my divorce is put on the best like 60s dance music and for 15 20 minutes in the room by yourself with the music blasting just dance your little heart out because that gets your endorphins going it gets your you know it gets every all your happy hormones going instead of the cortisol racing that's breaking down your your immune system and everything else. So that's the second thing. The main thing about my healing your heart coaching is that I help you see the co-creation. And once you see your part in it, you stop being the victim. Mm -hmm. And once you stop seeing the victim, your heart is broken less. Yeah, it is because you now start to see like with my fiance, I used to, when I first started the work, I thought, oh my God, he abandoned me. And then I realized when I started to do the work, no, I abandoned him. Mm. And I actually made it so that he needed to get out. And once I saw that, I, like I healed from that so much better than I healed from my husband. And I get that it wasn't really the same thing. It was 26 years versus six years. But once I saw the co-creation and could see my part in it, 
I was able to move beyond it without anger and with compassion for him and for me. And to realize that I can't see the big picture and I have to have faith that there is a big picture and that there is something that I don't know that's waiting for me that will be better than where I am right now. And that this needed to happen for the evolution of my soul. And, you know, I just, I, I can give up being the general manager and I can wait for that to happen. So beautiful. I'm hearing that finding power and taking responsibility, again, the same thing of what we were talking about of not being the victim. When you have a broken heart to look at your part, to look at your side of the street, to realize that... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whatever happened, you had a part in it. You could say it was through the law of attraction, or you could just say it was through the dynamic and the relationship. It takes two to tango. You know, we're dancing when we're in relationships. And I think there's a lot of freedom in taking responsibility. I love that. And then beyond that, what you're saying is then have faith that there is a bigger picture and that, you know, it's things are happening for you, not to you, right? So right. That, that is about having faith that there is a benevolent force and a friendly universe and that it's happening for you. Yeah. This and that my, it supports you. Yes. This is my last question. And I wanted to end on this because I know that you are really, really big into fitness. You climb Mount Kilimanjaro at age 61. So what, what is this? I read about it in your bio. I was intrigued. Check nutrition and lifestyle system. Is that how you live your healthy lifestyle? Tell us about that. Well, Paul Check is a um, huge trainer, shaman, life coach. Like when I was a trainer a thousand years ago, I, I used to go to his classes at these, you know, you'd go to these weekend things to get recertified. And he was a coach then. And then it just so happened that my son started working with him as their trainer and their shaman and they still work with him and he has different certifications. And so besides his personal training one, he has holistic lifestyle training. And so he calls them the four doctors and it's Dr. Diet and Dr. Um, I don't even know what the four doctors are, but it's holistic. And so um because I was a trainer for 16 years, when I work with my clients, most clients still have body issues and health and wellness issues. So even though I still bring it all back to shadow work, I can help anybody to be on a healthy diet, to, to think about their body differently, to be holistic about when you go to bed, what you're eating, what you're drinking, everything. That's just holistic lifestyle coaching. And um, I live that way. You know, I am, I'm not perfect, but I'm a really, I eat only organic and I drink a lot of water and um, I exercise every day. I mean, for me, I always have to try to not over-exercise. You know, that's my issue. That's my, I need to work in and have rest days. That's really hard for me. Um because I, I I get my high from working out, so that so I have to control how many things I will do in a day, and um, I have a two limit thing. Like I went on a three hour hike today. Um, maybe I would still 
play pickleball later if something came up, but I wouldn't do, and then also go to yoga. Like I just, I have a two limit thing. And even on a day, like I did the three hour hike, I probably, I'm not doing anything else today, but like if I did an hour and a half hike, I would still play, be willing to play pickleball later in the day or something like that. Or so. So you limit yourself to two workouts a day. Yeah. At the most. Yeah, I no longer will do three. And and can I tell my audience how old you are? I'm 65. 65. She did a three-hour hike. She could easily play pickleball or do yoga after. I mean, it is so incredible. So what what is you said you drink a lot of water? What is your diet like? Are you a vegan, pescatarian, keto? No, I eat mostly vegetables. Um I eat more vegetables than protein, but I do eat protein, but I only eat grass fed beef and I, if, and not a lot of it. I eat chicken more. Um, I very rarely eat red meat and I never eat anything that's not sustainable, organic, no antibiotics. I don't, I don't eat farmed fish. Um, so what I'm putting in my body is really healthy. And, um, I don't drink a lot of coffee. I haven't, I stopped alcohol like six months ago and I'll still have a drink once in a while, but almost never because I have finally found that getting rid of the alcohol has kept my body waiting. Like I can eat like a normal human being instead of the roller coaster of, you know, juicing for five days and then eating too much over time and needing to juice again. And now I'm finding that if I just stay away from the alcohol, which is really not hard after like a week, you know, because the sugar finally gets out of your system. uh, I'm, 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 I've been able to find a better balance for me. That's great. So do you eat carbs? Do you eat sugar? Do you eat gluten? How about any of that stuff? Yeah. So I'm gluten-free and I'm pretty sugar-free and I don't eat processed food. Um, like I don't eat pasta. I don't actually even eat gluten-free pasta. I just don't, I eat sweet potatoes. Um, and I eat a lot of vegetables. I mean, my down, my downfall is that I can eat a lot. Well, like I can make, a lot. I can make a plate like this, you know, <laughs> at dinner and I could eat more than my partner could eat. Um, but it's generally 90%, you know, vegetables and salad and stuff like that. That's great. Well, you are such an inspirational woman. I know my audience loves you and wants to keep in touch with you, Nancy. So where can they find you? Thank you. Um, so Everybody can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and my website, which is nancypicardlifecoach.com is my website. Um, do you have show notes? Do you do show notes? I do show notes. Okay. So if you put in my, um, I don't know, did I send you my media kit? Yeah. Because I have a free chapter in my book and I have a free boundary um, quiz and a bigger, better, braver quiz. So all of that would, would be in the show notes with my website and then uh, Nancy Picard life coach is my Instagram and my um, Facebook. And I am, I have a waiting list now going for my bigger, better, braver 12 week zoom course. So I think the link is in there too, but if it's not, I'd love to send you that. Um, I think it is because I'm taking 
Yeah, I think that's going to start once a week in October. And now I'm just setting up a waiting list to see who wants to do that. So awesome. Well, Nancy, it's been a delight. You're so inspirational. I I pray that I am as fit as you, <laughs> 65. Oh my God, climbing mountains and three hour hikes and all that. Like you're definitely an inspiration to me. Thank and you. I look to keeping in touch and doing Clubhouse with you. Yeah, join me on Wednesdays. It's I'm two o'clock Pacific time. That'll be fun. You'll like it. What's the name I, of the room? Um, right now, the last room we did was just called um, Where Are You Stuck? Nice. So we may just keep that. It used to be bigger, better, braver or setting healthy boundaries. But right now it's where you stuck. So just look for Nancy Picard Life Coach and you'll they'll start to be able to look for you. And yes. Susan Montanero is in there and Linda Yazel. And it's a it's come and get any coaching question you want answered. Yeah, it's so fun. Find Nancy on Clubhouse. I'll be joining her Wednesdays at 2 and listen, guys, this is a grassroots movement. We rely on our beautiful, wonderful listeners to spread the word about the Balanced, Beautiful, Abundant show. If you could take 90 seconds of your time and subscribe and leave a five-star review, we would be so appreciative. If you're listening on your phone, screenshot, uh, share it in your stories, tag me, tag Nancy. We'll give you a shout out. We really appreciate you spreading the word about the show. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And we'll see you soon with another incredible guest. Until then, keep your vibe high and your hands clean, everyone. Thank you. <laughs> I like that. Keep your vibe high and your hands clean. Who says you can't have it all? I'm proof that you can. You just have to put your life into balance. Too much of anything, money, fitness, socializing, can overtake your life. When all seven aspects of your life work in harmony, you will achieve the balanced, beautiful, and abundant life you've always dreamed of. Please subscribe to hear more inspiring interviews. Is there someone you know who could benefit from this podcast? Please share this podcast with them. Please review this podcast. Your feedback will help me target your needs and plan for upcoming shows that answer your questions and feature guest speakers that can make a big difference in your life. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Rebecca E. Whitman. Feel free to DM me to book a free balance assessment call. And don't forget, stay balanced, beautiful, and abundant. It's cold,